And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic and... With no disrespect meant to Art and Adrian, the A-team are in the house this morning, or in their own houses, in fact, this morning. Uh, James McNicholas is here. Hello, James, the hardest working man in show business. Hello, mate. Good to be back. Morning. And uh, Amy Lawrence, the first lady of Arsenal, joining us as well. Is that is that all right for me calling you that? Because it sounds like you're sort of 90, really, at that point, to be honest. Well, but... I, that, I often feel older, so <laughs> I'll take well, 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, now, before we get into Arsenal's spending frenzy, as no doubt some people are calling it, in a bit more detail, it looks like Gabriel Jesus will be signing for the Arsenal, possibly while we're recording this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we sort of feel it's going to happen. So we felt a little uh, religious theme was in order for the opening question. So who, James and Amy, is your Arsenal patron saint and what are they patron saint? Of I'll start you off, Dennis Bergkamp, of course, is the patron saint of the first touch, I would assume. I mean, there are possibly others, but he's the one for me. Uh, James, what have you got for us? Uh, I went for Thomas Wozicki, and there were many things he could have been patron saint of. <laughs> Goals against Spurs, lovely flowing hair. But I went for uh, him being patron saint of aesthetically pleasing sliding tackles. <laughs> it, there was kind of something borderline spiritual and supernatural about his ability to produce those challenges, given the type of player he was. So, yeah, Rosicki for me. I thought you were going to say uh, passes with the uh, outside of his foot as well. That's another one he could have had, yeah. He could have had that one as well. Uh, Amy, what you got? Uh, I'm going to go with um, Ian Wright as the patron saint of celebrations. Because nobody quite did it like he did it. (laughs) It was such... Joy, wasn't there? I mean, he did it in training as well, apparently. He was just as, as uh, you know, demonstrative, I suppose one can say. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, you can let us know if you want, if you, if you have any patron saints. I wanted to do Keown as well, but I couldn't think of anything particularly aside from, I don't know, growling at someone or something. But anyway. Peter Story of the 71 team, his nickname was Growler. And by all accounts, he used to intimidate people on the pitch by growling at them. Actually doing the growling. Actually growling at them, and it did put people off. It worked. So can we have a mention of Peter Story, the patron saint of growling? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have, and that's perfect. Uh, I should say, by the way, also, that the first teaser for the Amazon series All or Nothing, this is the Arsenal one, uh, dropped, as the kids say, on Tuesday afternoon. I don't know about you guys. I'm sort of indifferent. I'll take a look, but I don't really care. It sort of feels like the past. Uh, Amy, do you have any more of a view about it than that? Uh, I think I'm most intrigued just to see if there's any insights that we can glean about the atmosphere and the um, methodology of what goes on uh, behind the curtain, if you like. 
because I'm, you know, while it while I don't quite believe it was accessible areas, uh, I don't think they're, you know, in the in the dressing room at all times, in the showers, and you know, so on. It's um, I'd be surprised if we didn't if there weren't some bits and pieces that at least allow us to understand a bit more about what the club, the manager, the players are trying to do, how they cope with adversity, uh, how they motivate themselves. And to see if there's things that can be productive for, you know, what's coming next. Let's yeah. face it, it wasn't quite the ending. It, I think had the ending worked out as hoped in terms of the Champions League, there would have been a, a sort of great redemption arc story going on, which I'm sure the Amazon production team were hoping for. So I'm quite intrigued to see how it ends, actually. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, there are obviously certain things, James, with these with these documentaries and I'm not just talking about the football ones where you don't see everything. I remember watching the Madonna one years ago where you, you sort of felt like you got pretty much everything except when she was talking about money, at which point she shut the door and we didn't see any of that. And, and one imagines this sort of similar with uh, all or nothing. Yeah. I don't think there'll be a camera in the room when Mikel Arteta and Pierre Aubameyang sit down to discuss uh, his trip to France or anything like that. But I do think it will be interesting. I, I mean, if you look at the way Arsenal fans online voraciously eat up content like, you know, tunnel cam or uh, bench cam, I think there is a fascination with this kind of behind the scenes machinations of a football club. And while this won't be warts and all because Arsenal have kind of an editorial hand in it, I do think we'll learn a lot about kind of some of the personalities behind the scenes. And I think seeing things like a dressing room before they go out to a game, who speaks, who doesn't, how they react to, do, to defeat, you know, how players different, respond emotionally in different scenarios. I, I think that will be really interesting. So I think broadly, I, I am looking forward to it, even if, as Amy says, the ending's not quite what we might have hoped for. No, don't give it away, obviously. Uh, anyway, <laughs> No spoilers. Well, I- no spoilers. Uh, you may well hear uh, some familiar voices in episode five of the series. I don't know who that could be, but anyway, uh, we may well be <laughs> there at some are you, point. Are you sure you made the cut, Stoney? Well, um, do you know I'm not, to be honest with you. You know how it goes. <laughs> you, you think I gave a great performance there and then it ends up on the cutting room floor. Uh, James, you understand. Uh, sorry, I was going to say, James, you understand that, but that sounds like an insult. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always on the cutting room floor. (laughs) Anyway, you might hear some or all or none of us uh, in episode five of the series. I'll obviously watch that one. (laughs) We are, as I said, waiting on the official confirmation of Gabriel Chasers joining the Arsenal. We'll get an announcement some point soon. Medical and everything seems to be done. Um, And if it does... This is a next-level signing, at least up front for us. Thomas Partey, I think, was that. But this is another uh, step forward. James, we want to spend the money. I mean, we'll talk about Rafinha in a bit and how it looks like we're not going to get uh, him. We might go to Chelsea. But I, I know this is sort of a leading question, but did we get the Cronkies wrong with all this? Because it seems to me like they are showing serious ambition. Listen, if you look at the expenditure over the last few years, it would certainly suggest as much. I think the questions surround how exactly that's being funded and, you know, something the AST are very concerned with is what is the nature of these loans KSC are providing. I think, yes, they are spending, but, you know, I think it's a necessity. They need this club to start bringing in top-level European revenue again so that it can become more self-sustaining. I suspect that will ultimately be the aim. 
But I do think this is a really exciting signing and it's one that, you know, it will be relatively expensive. I know the fee of £45 million doesn't sound extortionate at all in the current market, but you know, he'll come on a very hefty salary, especially having come from Manchester City and coming to Arsenal to be a star, the star potentially. The main I mean, man, right? The main man, absolutely. I mean, and presumably to play in that central striking role. And I think that's going to be really fascinating. I mean, there's certainly a history of players who've come to Arsenal, maybe with their predominantly their football having been played on the flanks and question marks over whether or not they could flourish as the main man, as the goal scorer. And we've been fortunate enough to have so a couple of big successes, let's hope this could be another one because when you look at his goal record for Man City, when he starts, invariably, you know, he gets on the score sheet and obviously playing for Man City is one thing, playing for Arsenal is potentially another, but I'm excited to see how he gets on and I'm pleased that he's accepted the challenge that Arsenal have laid down in front of him. Uh, I think that's an encouraging sign and yeah, he'll be desperate to make a success of it. He will. I mean, the goals per minute, Amy, is actually is up there with some of the very best. I was looking at the list and Salah's in there and Kane's in there and Ronaldo, and he's not far behind. So as James said, you know, he didn't get he didn't get you know two goals every three games for Man City, but he's a regular, consistent scorer, and and we've lacked that for a couple of seasons, haven't we? Well, certainly last season. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that at a point where it's blatantly obvious that a solution needs to be found in that very position where finding someone to fit Arteta's kind of ideal to lead from the front is is such a crucial thing. This is his number one target. And to choose someone who, I think it, I think uh, Tim Vickery said the other day, expert on Brazilian football, that, you know, the Brazil manager had asked Gabriel Jesus not that long ago, you know, where do you prefer playing? And he was like, yeah you know, I don't mind. And he's like, come on, you know, where do you want? And he's like, wide. Like, this is a guy who has to want to be in the middle and who has to produce, you know, to, to choose someone who's not already got that sort of experience and pedigree and desire that comes from being an established central forward is really interesting when that's exactly what Arteta needs. Now, he must be so sure in himself that this is the, this is the guy that he can encourage to be the man and in the same way that, I mean, the obvious example, James kind of hinted at it before, but Thierry Henry coming under Wenger and them having some quite difficult coffee. It was not an overnight thing. He had doubts at the beginning when Arsene asked him to play in the middle. He felt he had to relearn things. And obviously once all the... Um, all the components were, were back in, in place and it began to... Were worked out all right. It it was a phenomenon, and I'm intrigued on two things. One, that Arteta has gone for someone who there is an element of adjustment that's needed, and two, I'm intrigued. I'd love to know a bit more about Gabriel Jesus's personality, because when someone's been in an environment where they're winning the league virtually every year and in the Champions League every year, you know, you have an image of yourself as being on a certain pedestal. Now to you know, to step to consciously step down from that in terms of where Arsenal are, which is not where Man City are, I mean, it's just life. You really need to hope that they don't see it as a step down. You really need to hope that psychologically, Gabriel Jesus sees this as something he really wants to be part of and he really wants to kind of be that central figure 
who's a catalyst for something magical happening down here. And, you know, that's quite a big thing. And you don't, you, I remember when, just, just before you come in, sorry, James, when Meza Ozil signed from Real Madrid and you wondered whether it was what he really wanted because he was sort of forced out. And I think in that first few months of Ozil being around, I think there was a bit of him sort of getting used to things being a bit different, you know, and not not playing for a club that are right at the top and with players that are used to being right at the top. Yeah. So, yeah, the the psychology of it for Gabriel Jesus, I, I'm fascinated to see how he conducts himself and how he grabs this opportunity and what he shows of himself. James? Yeah, I, I think... Everything I agree with everything Emmy said, and I think the unknown in this deal is how he copes with being in a different environment and a different position on the pitch. But I think the other side of that coin is Mikel Arteta and Edu are signing a player they know extremely well. You know, this is someone that Edu worked closely with, and his role was technical coordinator for the Brazilian national team, and someone Arteta was working with every single day on the training field. So although there are some elements of this move that feel like risks or, or gambles as occur in every transfer, in other ways, it's underpinned by this very in-depth knowledge of the player and the guy. And so that reassures me, I think, about this move and probably has provided them with the reassurance to go out and spend the money because to a certain extent, they know who they're getting, if yeah. not quite what. Yeah. Yeah. One thing uh, it doesn't do is solve the height issue. Does that matter, James? I mean, it seems to me that Mikel Arteta is trying to do something similar to what Pep Guardiola is doing at Man City. Lots of interchangeable players uh, who can play in a number of positions. Um, we're not slinging crosses into the box. And for set pieces, we've got our defenders and Thomas Partey. Um, although he's not actually as tall as I thought he was, as it turns out. But do you not think, James, that is it a problem not having a, uh, a tall centre forward? He's... Oh, I don't even actually know how tall Jesus is, but he's, you know, less than six foot tall, I think. Yeah, and certainly they looked at some strikers who are significantly taller than that. Dusan Vlavic in January we talked about. There are others, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Tammy Abraham. It's certainly something that was discussed and considered. I think ultimately this is kind of a stylistic choice. And from what I hear, you know, <laughs> when we see games where Tierney or Cedric or whoever it might be slinging a bunch of crosses into the box, I don't think that's um, where Mikel Arteta wants this team and this project to go and to end up. And I think this signing reflects that. What I would say is that if you do have the resource, I think it is an option to have in a squad. And maybe that's just me being old fashioned, but I do Big think, blank. you know, yeah, it's certain games the ability to change the way you play uh, can be really beneficial. Kevin so Davis. It's a must. Is it a must? Man City haven't had it. Uh, yeah. Um, Amy, by the way, they haven't had it. They've had Jesus, uh, um, Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez as their front players. The only height they've got is in midfield and defence. Yeah, but they, so, but not they managed must. to get those players up the pitch quite a lot because they have possession of the ball nearly all the time. Um, it's slightly different, you know. You and also they're the best. Hello, they've won the league most of the time and all been damn close in the last few years. If Arsenal are the best, fine. Be my guest. Have as many be a, be a land of the midgets. I couldn't care less, you know. But let's be realistic. Yes. 
it shouldn't be an, you know, oh, it's just a bit naive to think that you can win every game when we're, we, we were fifth last year, trying to improve. You've got to have a bit of horses for courses. It's a physical, difficult league. If you're the best, you can be whatever size you like. But if you're not, you might have to be a bit more flexible than that. And I think that uh, there's a fantastic conviction, which is admirable, about the way Arsenal and Arteta are trying to um, create something here. But it's a hugely competitive league. And I think deciding that you just don't, you're just not bothered about a plan B or an option, it worries me a little bit. Sorry. It's okay. I, I, I think that's fair enough to be slightly concerned. But uh, it is, as I say, a step forward. And it does show the ambition of the club. Um, since we last spoke, by the way, Fabio Vieira was announced and the goalkeeper, Matt Turner, as well. Uh, you can read up on both of them over on your favourite football website. Um, that's The Athletic, by the way, unless you have another one. Um, but I'm just saying, that's the one you should be reading about them on. Briefly on Matt Turner. Go on, sorry, Amy, you wanted to say something there. I was going to say, on Matt Turner, I found myself really moved by his uh, sort of introduction video. Arsenal and, fan. Yeah, and I think that felt very real. And Does, does really it make a difference? I, Really? I don't know, but I don't know, but it, it makes a difference maybe to, I don't know if it makes a difference to him and his capacity to be as good a player as he can for the Arsenal, but I think it can make a difference to the kind of connection you feel and how much yeah. goodwill there is for someone to do well as a, as a supporter. And I love the fact, I've always found that the kind of, the way that the game has become globalised and internationalised, I'm almost in awe of the fact that there are people who grow up anywhere else in the world as young footballers who feel that sense of fandom for our club just as much as the boys at Hale End, in a way. And I, there's something quite poetic about the fact that you've got Second, Smith Rowe and all those boys who have had who've been inculcult... Incul- I can't say that word. Who have been... <laughs> What's, what's the word I can say? Inculcated. Of, Indoctrinated. I, I, I can't say that word. Anyway, who have had that feeling of Arsenalism sort of... Yeah, it's us. It's our team. Uh, ...growing from within and their environment since they were little boys. And at the same time, there's a kid in New Jersey who cares about the Arsenal, who dreams of playing for them. Ah, it's beautiful. Great, great. And I'm sure he'll get games. Aaron Ramstad apparently has already been in touch. Uh, to make sure he's settled in. He wants to push uh, Aaron, which is great. Um, as I said, we're not getting uh, Rafinha. Oh, it doesn't look like we're getting Rafinha. Chelsea have come in with the valuation, essentially, that Leeds have put on him, which we were way below. Are you a little bit disappointed? I'd seen pictures of um, Rafinha and Martinelli and Jesus together playing for Brazil, and I thought, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> I am a bit disappointed because I think he's a really terrific player, and I think he'll go right to the very top of the game uh, and I would have liked a, a good portion of that journey to be with Arsenal but this is what happens when you're targeting top players that there's yes. going to be competition and you know last summer Arsenal signed a number of players where they were the only really big club sort of in the hunt for them yep. um, this year we're targeting a high calibre of players and that means it's going to be a bit of a tug of war at times and at the moment it looks like Chelsea are better positioned to win that one Um yeah, I think there was real optimism Arsenal they could get this one done. So Chelsea have slightly 
blindsided them, but they were always a, a team that interested Rafinha. And when you look at it on paper, I can understand why he would make that choice. They're in the Champions League. I'm sure there's a good salary package on offer, as it would have been at Arsenal. I also think one thing to consider is all those Brazilians in the same team. I mean, some of these guys are competing directly for places in the same international setup. Rafinha and Martinelli, I think, arguably are pushing for the same place in the Brazil squad. And, you know... Perhaps that was a factor in Rafinha's thinking too, this idea that if he goes to Chelsea, he gets a bit of a, a freer run at it. I, I think uh, it's disappointing, but it happens. I guess we just got to move on. I like that we're in for these big players, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, Rafinha, as you say, would have been competing with Martinelli on one side or Saka on the other. It's not even guaranteed that he starts. Um, that being the case then, we're not getting uh, Rafinha. We have put in a new bid for Lissandro Martinez, €40 million, Euros, the Ajax, uh, Ajax value, the defender at £50 million. Amy, we do need another defender, don't we? I mean, we well, really I, do. I wonder if tactically there's sort of something to be absorbed by the Rafinha situation in that, you know, there was a price and Arsenal was short of it and the idea that they could slowly, slowly, you know, like when you're bidding for a house without uh, much opposition, you know, try try the seller's hand with a bit more here and a bit more there. And I think a long negotiation, it, 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 you know, they got, as James said, they were unopposed for sort of Ben White and Aaron Ramsey Dale, so they could take their time in trying to see if they could get a better deal before ending up with the price that they were. But if Rafinha, if Arsenal had desperately wanted Rafinha and the selling price was a bit more, then if they'd have gone in with a bigger price early on, it's done, right? Before Chelsea yeah. wake up. But by playing that slower game, they allowed themselves to be kind of outmaneuvered, potentially. So the fact that Man United are also supposed to be looking at Lisandro, and for all we know, others are as well. If Arsenal think that playing that slow game might work in a competitive marketplace the chances are it might not. So maybe they have to go away and say, Ajax want 50 million euros. If the player's interested in coming, we've got to move fast. Yeah. I just think that that higher calibre of player, like James tweeted about it, you know, very accurately early on, there's a sort of smaller pool of players now that you're you're fishing in for that higher calibre talent. And there's a lot of clubs, you know, with their fishing rods out in in those waters. So... You can't muck about, really. I think if you if you see someone that you're you've absolutely got your eye on, if you're flexible, not with competitive fishing, we'll see. No. Well, that's different. If you've got a a, a bigger list, <laughs> but if you want a, then I I think sometimes you've got to be a bit more aggressive about it. Yeah. Well, every day's a school day, and I guess they'll learn. But uh, it's nice that we're competing for those players. I say again, uh, William Saliba. James, I sort of feel like you're emotionally invested in William Saliba succeeding at Arsenal. You you know, if I had a question about William Saliba, aside from asking him directly, which I don't have access to, he doesn't, he never phones me anymore, uh, I would speak to you. Uh, And you wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about him. Is he staying? What's the latest you hear? That's certainly the plan. And from what I understand, he's uh, looking forward to it and looking forward to... (sighs) you know, competing for a place and being an Arsenal player and and making a real fist of being an Arsenal player, having not really had the opportunity until this point. I'd stop short of saying that, you know, he's about to sign a new contract or anything like that. I think he'll want to see the lay of the land 
In fact, I know I want to see the lay of the land before yeah. making that kind of commitment. But, uh, yeah, it appears for all intents and purposes that he is coming back, and I'm really curious to see how he gets on. Um, the thrust of the piece that I wrote a couple of weeks ago was that Saliba and Ben White, in terms of their use of the ball, their kind of tactical and, and technical profile, there are a lot of parallels. You know, There are some strong similarities, and... They're both operating on that right-hand side of the central defensive pairing. So I'm, I'm curious to see how the football is kind of distributed between them next season. And if Martinez joins, Amy, we will have essentially seven defenders, or eight if you count Cedric. <laughs> so seven. Seven. Seven defenders. We'll have Martinez, White, Gabriel, Saliba, uh, Holding, Tomiyasu and Tierney. That should be enough, shouldn't it? Um... Depending, of course. Who knows? I mean, look, we've obviously, you know, they know what they're doing in terms of the needed balance within the squad to tackle a season with um, aims to improve in the Premier League and go far in the Europa League, plus domestic cups. I mean, I think there's still a bit of uh, tinkering to go along and I think it'd be interesting to see which of the younger players they keep and which they loan, because that's going to be significant too. But... um, I'm, I'm sorry I got a bit shouty before on the kind of tall centre forward thing, but yeah, in in my dreams there'd be one of those as well, and maybe another central midfield player. Abby, our producer, just mentioned Tavares as well, but I'm assuming he may well be going out on loan, and I think he's better going forward anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll see how things progress over the next few weeks, and obviously we'll keep you uh, abreast of uh, any developments as they happen, uh, possibly while we're recording. Um, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. So, there are renewed criticisms of Arsenal's sponsorship from Visit Rwanda. There's a piece on The Athletic. It's a great piece, James, um, which I know you co-wrote, right? 
Mm-hmm. With Joe it gives Durso. Both, right, it gives, gives both sides of the argument, and I felt myself swinging from one side to the other, really, as I read the different pieces. Um, but I think what's interesting, the last two sentences really sum it up. There was, they were said by a woman who it appeared was part of the LGBT plus community, although it wasn't implicitly stated, who said... There's a significant amount of leverage the club holds, she said. Arsenal has such a responsibility to act. Now, you could take that either way, couldn't you? Because if you talk to that Rwandan, was it a cab driver, I think, who's, from Cov- who's in Coventry now? And and he said what a great thing it is, just a, to, a, a different viewpoint of Rwanda. And these trade-offs happen with every sponsor, you know. And let's not forget the World Cup is happening in Qatar in November. No, it's a hugely complex issue. Um, And when you speak to those Rwandan Arsenal fans about the way in which this partnership has changed perceptions of their country from a kind of failed state in the 90s, you know, effectively advertising what is a very high-end, spectacular tourist experience and helping to build a tourist industry for a developing country... You know, that that is a a compelling argument and a compelling case. On the other side of that, you only need look at the, you know, what Amnesty has said about the regime in Rwanda to understand that there is another side to this. And Arsenal's insistence is that they are effectively partnered with the Rwandan tourist board. It's purely to promote tourism. But of course, you know, I think it's naive to suggest that that does not have links to the regime. And the amount of money that Rwanda are putting into Arsenal through this sleeve sponsorship is is enormous. You know, we're talking about potentially the latest deal being £40 million over four years. And this is a country where, with significant rates of poverty and huge socioeconomic problems. So, yeah, it's, it's highly complex. Unfortunately, it's part of being a modern football fan that we have to wrestle with these things. You know, Arsenal are in a position where they have to maximise every revenue resource in order to compete with some of these clubs, with the likes of Manchester City and Newcastle, previously Chelsea, perhaps Chelsea still under new ownership. But it is odd, you know, we, we think of Arsenal as not being, we're not state-owned, you know, and at times I think that provides us with a kind of ethical football moral high ground. But you look at our shirt and you look at our stadium and you see the name Emirates and the name Rwanda, and while we may not be state-owned, we are very much state-sponsored. And it's a very complex issue. Everyone will have their own feelings about it. But what we try to do in the piece is certainly you know, give some airtime to every viewpoint. And I guess it's up to fans to decide sort of where on that spectrum they sit. Yeah, Amy, as James said, we play in the Emirates Stadium. These things are not simple. And at the same time, we get this money. We can spend it on players and make the team better. There, there are always trade-offs with something like this. There, there's no, there's no perfect sponsor, is there? Oh, JVC was all right back in the day, I think. But uh, no, I think it's become, <laughs> the old days. Yeah, it's become such a moral maze, and um, I think it's difficult for clubs. It's difficult for fans. I find that I've conflicted quite a lot about how I feel. I, I, I expect there's a lot for fans to take on these days. You know, you're cryptocurrency and and uh, political regimes and gambling uh and there's there's so many yeah. kind of aspects where they they're sort of linked with sources of financial revenue for for football and it's very easy to worry about what they represent uh, as well and 
trying to kind of reconcile that is it's it's borderline impossible because in the end you love your club and you're asking yourself if you love your club and you love football do i how do i make a stand if there's things that the club does that morally i i, I disagree with what do you do yeah it's it's well, really I hard it's... i i i it's an almost yeah, impossible it's, question you're it asking. Is, there, and, and it's become more impossible the more globalised and more financial football has become. These were not issues that we particularly had to care about in the 80s or maybe even the 90s. It's no. a relatively recent phenomenon in the history of football. It's true. We weren't, we weren't deporting migrants to the JVC offices, were we? Let's be fair. <clears throat> but, so. but I tell you what, what, what is interesting. I mean, obviously, Rwanda is a real hot topic at the present time. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Given that and given the conference and, and Boris Johnson being out there. And that, I think, makes the whole situation for Arsenal all the more uncomfortable, that the amount of scrutiny and media attention on that particular country. But, you know, it, it is a question of how far you want to interrogate anything. I mean, even what we would think of as kind of premium brands like kit manufacturers. I think if you delve into some of their practices, you will find it problematic too. So it's so hard to sort of kind of separate everything out. And I, I, I'll be honest, speaking as a fan, I'm, I'm not keen on the Visit Rwanda sponsorship. I think that it's, I think it's damaging to the reputation of the club, the association with with unfortunately the regime who are governing what is otherwise, you know, a great country full of lovely people, many of whom are Arsenal fans. I just think it's not healthy. And I think there was probably uh, a choice that could have been made that might have involved some financial sacrifice, but would have preserved the values of the club somewhat better. That's my opinion. Yeah. And like I say, when I, I, I would recommend that you read uh, this article because uh, it, and I and I sometimes at some points when I was reading the article, James, I did agree with you. Whereas on other points, I thought, actually, this is great for the country of Rwanda and the people of Rwanda who could use a bit of an association with with a with a grand institution like Arsenal. Uh, anyway, um, I'm sure that conversation will be had again. Let's have a song before we finish. Amy, what have you got? Well, uh, I thought um, with Gabriel Jesus signing to go for possibly my favourite Brazilian song. I used to love this when I was a kid. Uh, it's Elsa Suarez and please forgive me any pronunciation complications here. But Deixe uh, para lá, something like that anyway. Okay, uh, James, what have you got? Depeche Mode, your own personal Jesus. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, as you know, I was, uh, and you might have heard from my voice, I was in a field uh, in Somerset all weekend, and one of the people I saw was Paul McCartney, who sang Maybe I'm Amazed, which I absolutely love as a song anyway. Uh, and Maybe I Am Amazed with the amount of ambition and spending going on. So that was my choice. <laughs> Anyway, don't shake your head at me, Amy. <laughs> That's it for the Arsenal podcast. Thanks to Abby, our producer. Thank you to James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. And thank you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. Have a good week. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.